You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Good morning, church. It is great to be with you all this morning. Please be turning your Bibles to John chapter 14. The title of the conference, as well as the final lesson of the conference, are the same, even greater things. They are taken, of course, from John chapter 14. We'll read the verse quickly as we open. Those who are wondering, they actually were, in fact, not booing me, but saying Luke. (laughs) But I always tell people I don't mind a few boos here and there. It just gets me a little bit more encouraged to preach. Come on, Luke. John 14, verse 12. It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even Greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. Uh, My name is Luke Speckman. Uh, It is a great honor to be with you and preach to you this morning. Uh, My wife, Brandon, sends her greetings. She wishes that she could be here. For those who don't know, uh, we're very privileged uh, and honored to be able to lead the New York City Church. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, you have a fantastic city here. I, I love London. It's, it's great. I, I feel just like I'm at home. Uh, it's great to be with uh, the European world sector. It's great to be with the London church, the Birmingham church, the Stockholm church, and the Paris church. And I hope you guys are encouraged from the weekend so far. Uh, this passage is, uh, is quite interesting. It says that uh, if you have faith, that results in you doing things, right? Uh, you know, Kip did a great job yesterday in his uh, speech talking about uh, the Christianity through the years. And uh, he mentioned Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, he mentioned uh, because he talked about biblical authority over church authority. And then also the priesthood of all believers. But uh, he had a, a saying, faith alone saves you. And, and he didn't actually like the book of James, thought it shouldn't be in the canon. You guys may well know that James chapter 2, verse 17 says that faith without deeds is is dead, right? Well, luckily, even if you were to throw that out, Jesus said the same thing. If you have faith, you will do things, right? So we know that Jesus is in agreement with the book of James, amen? Uh, Look in verse 13. It says here, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me, for anything in my name, and I will do it. What an incredible promise. I have a question. What would you pray for if you knew that God would say yes? Ask anything you want in my name, and you'll receive it. Well, you guys may know that in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says that you don't have because why? You don't ask. And when you ask, you don't receive. Because why? You have the wrong motive. So here's the thing. You're not going to be praying for a Bentley or a Range Rover and expecting to receive that. Amen? I'll tell you a story. So I was asked to go into the ministry, and I was to receive $1,000 a month. Now, I was married, and I had three kids. 
And I looked at the church leader and kind of scratched my head and said, do you realize that I'm married and I have three kids and I have a full-time job? And you want me to quit my job and go on staff for a thousand a month? And he said, oh, if you can, you can. And if you can't, you can't. So we were trying to figure out how to make this work. So I realized that we need to get a, a lower cost of living. We need a, a cheaper rent. We need to move closer to campus. And uh, my, my youngest two kids at the time was a, a boy and a girl. And they were getting to the age where it's not so good to share a room. So we wanted to get a, a, an extra bedroom. So we we're trying to go to a more expensive area, pay less, and get a bigger house. Okay. And so while we're looking at rentals, uh, we, it, it just wasn't happening. So we said, you know what, it, it's a good market to buy. And so we found a house that had been foreclosed, and it was actually going to work out quite nicely. It was during special missions time, and I, I wanted to give $4,000 for special missions. And I, even though it was a, a special loan that had a very small deposit, I still needed 6000 for the deposit, and I didn't have any money. So I went out at 5 in the morning, went out praying, and I said, God, you know what? If you could just give me $10,000, just, I don't know, a check in the mail or just some random miracle way, that would be so great. Well, I, I went to work at 7, and at 9 a.m., uh, my company, they had a drawing, and if, if you uh, won an award, there's about 700 employees, and, if, and I won an award three consecutive months, and they did a drawing each quarter, and so my name was in there three times. And they started off $100, $200, $300, $500, 1000 and the grand prize was 2000 And they pulled it out, and it was my name. I didn't even know there was a drawing that day, but I won $2,000. And, and then I was on my way to midweek that night, same day I prayed, same day I won the money. And I was giving a brother a ride. Um, and, we were, and I was telling him about this. And he said, bro, don't you know that under the Obama deal, you can get $8,000 for a down payment? And I said, I thought you had to buy the house first and you get reimbursed. He goes, no, no, you just fill out this form. You put the address down, you submit it, and they deposit 8000 in your account. And I go, that's not true, bro. He goes, it's in my account. You want to see? <laughs> and I go, see, you're telling me if I fill out a form and I put the address that I'm, of the house I want to buy, they'll deposit the money. He goes, yeah, if you don't buy it, you got you to pay it back. But... If, as long as you buy it, you get to keep it. And I was at midweek, and I go, wait a second. 2000 this morning. 8000 this evening. That's $10,000 to the dollar what I prayed for. And I filled out the paperwork, and I did get the $8,000. Free and clear. So the next morning, I went out and prayed. And I said, God, give me $20,000. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Going into the ministry, we had a, a car payment uh, that we couldn't afford. So I, I sublet my vehicle to another disciple, which is not a great idea. Desperate times, you know. And I realized that I actually needed a car. This is in Arizona where you can't, I couldn't get my kids to school. And so I, I went out praying uh, for a, a campaign with the campus brothers and sisters. We're walking around the school, and I said, God, thank you for giving me a car. Praise if you received it. So I went home. I went on Craigslist, and I said, minister needs free car. Someone called me, and they gave me a car. It was during special missions time, and I was like, you know what? 
Our missions is challenging. I, I look at the Powerball, and man, it's up to a, a billion dollars. Wouldn't that be a great thing to win the lottery? I prayed very earnestly. I believed it was going to happen, and I went and got a ticket. And, and during the drawing, I looked at it, and there's seven numbers, and there was not one single one that was right. I was like, God, what in the world? What was that? Here's my conclusion. When you pray for something spiritual, God will give it to you. When you pray something for your own comfort, that's not for your best interest, God doesn't give it to you. That's my conclusion. You guys understand who have kids. You know, they ask you for candy, but that doesn't mean that they get it. What would you pray for if you knew that God would give it to you? You know, this morning, we're going to dream a little bit. Um, we're, we're excited for what Jesus did, but we know that he calls us to do even greater things. Why? He's going back to the Father. He was only here for three years, and all those that he discipled, they lived, uh, for the, the majority of them, at least 30 more years. John, many decades more than that. This uh, passage right here in uh, John chapter 13 through 17, this is all sort of one uh, continuous dialogue before the Garden of Gethsemane. And so let's kind of pick it up at the beginning in John chapter 13. Let's read verse 1. This is uh, in the upper room. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. We know that at this time, he would go on and wash their feet. Uh, I want to focus on three aspects that uh, we'll observe in this section from Jesus. Uh, one is sacrifice. We know that he would go uh, on to die on the cross. The second is a humility. He would greatly humble himself while washing their feet, calling them to servitude. And then the third is miracles, the atoning sacrifice and the resurrection. Amen. And as we dream a little bit, I want to share a quote with you that I saw. I was, I was out uh, hitting up the charity shops on uh, Taylor Street. I got a, got a nice tie. And I, I saw uh, stenciled onto a construction site. It said, a dream is worth nothing if you leave it on a pillow. A dream is worth nothing if you leave it on a pillow. We're going to talk about doing some greater things. Point number one is greater sacrifice. Go to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23, Jesus speaks here. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Let's stop there. Uh, Jesus lays out a principle that if you want to multiply, you've got to die. If you have a seed in your hand, it, it will just be a seed. But if you put it in the ground, it'll multiply and become many. Jesus understood that he had to die, but he calls us to die as well. He, of course, went to the cross, but we understand that we, we need to literally die to ourselves every single day. Every disciple has to give up everything. Now, for us, practically speaking, there's two main areas that I'll talk about. One is our time and our energy. So it's what you choose to do with your day and your week and your month and your years. And the second is uh, our, our, our physical materials 
things that we can sacrifice. So primarily that's money. It could be your house, your car, etc. Material possessions. First, let's speak about time and energy. Um, most of you are not full-time ministers, and, and that's okay. Uh, I thought Raul did an incredible job talking to the full-time ministers. Let's talk about time on campus. If you want to have an incredible campus ministry, there's no shortcut. It takes hard work. You've got to spend time on campus. You know, um, I I went into the ministry as a campus uh, uh, minister. Well, it was actually an intern, but uh, my church leader was a little bit more gracious, and he called me a campus minister. But I didn't learn later I I was actually an intern. But uh, it took a lot of sleepless nights. My, my wife worked because she supported us primarily. Uh, I took the kids to school. I went on campus from 9 to 3 because I, I had six hours. And it was Bible studies and evangelism. Get the brothers out of bed. No lunch breaks. It's Look, either we're studying the Bible or we're sharing our faith. We're not doing anything else because I only got six hours. I go pick up my kids, take them home, do homework, eat dinner, spend time with the family. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 9 p.m., Bible talk back on campus till midnight, do Bible studies. Wednesday, midweek, Monday night, family night, Friday night, Devo. That was it. Amen. Saturday, it's breakfast, invite the campus students over, it's doing Bible studies. And we had a very fruitful year. Uh, my wife, although she was not full-time, she was working, had three kids, and was doing her master's. Wow. We, we baptized uh, nine disciples our first semester, and one restoration. We baptized 11 our second semester, and two restorations, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was the only one. Come on, So for those of us who are not full-time, perhaps you can relate to the working schedule. Now, before I was full-time, I was trying to think back to the easiest convert that, that I can remember. Uh, there was a brother in Phoenix, and um, after doing the Word of God study, he showed up to my house the next day. Didn't call. He just had a box in his hands. I said, hey, bro, what's going on? He goes, well, I moved out of Teresa's house. What did you do that for? He goes, well, I said I was going to go by the word of God. and We're not married, so I know I shouldn't be living with her, so here I am. I go, how come you didn't call? He goes, the phone was in her name. I left it. How did you get here? took the bus. Where's your car? Sirs, not mine. Can I sleep on your couch? Come on in, bro. Sure. Why not? Now, he, he worked, he worked uh, doing security at a concert hall. They had uh, evening shows and whatnot. So he got off oftentimes 1 or 2 uh, a.m. So we had a lot of Bible studies that went to 3 and 4 in the morning. And I remember doing the count the cost. We were there at four in the morning at, in, in Matt uh, Sullivan's uh, living room, standing like this, like you're singing a song, but we weren't singing. We were just trying to keep ourselves awake. Yeah, yeah, you could fall asleep a little bit because you had some support, but you kind of snap out of it. And, um, and, and he got baptized. His name is Mark Garrido. He now leads the Honolulu Church. That, that's the most open guy I can remember. And it took sleepless nights. There, there is no shortcut to hard work when it comes to conversions. You know, um, the next thing is money. Um, I had a great talk with Michael Williamson. And, um, man, the London church, you're in such an incredible spot right now. You, you have people here who you can hire, 
and you have roles for them to be in. You got MJ, Vienna, Samuel, Naomi, Eileen, and you got more people who want to go on staff. In fact, Tim, who's getting baptized this morning, already said he wants to be an intern. It's awesome. I, I talked with, uh, with uh, Victor Como, uh, the administrator, and we were talking about the finances, and we just talked for a few minutes, and I, I kind of looked at what you guys were giving and how many people were, there were, and I go, yeah, bro, you should just double up. <laughs> that's what you need, and that's what your church can do. Amen. Michael said it right now. Amen. Now, before you all freak out, <laughs> let me tell you what we did. I, I find it's always a little bit more encouraging if you find that someone has done it before you, yeah. right? Now, I'm going to use terms in American dollars, uh, but you understand that the, the current exchange rate is not so different. Uh, in a lot of ways, the buying power is the same, so the quality of life is not so different. Like a lunch here, it's 14 pounds, it's $14 in the U.S. And even if you say it's a little bit more expensive, well, you have free health care and you have other things. So we're talking about kind of similar quality of life. Amen. So I think you can hear the numbers and you can probably do something very similar as far as it comes with pounds. Uh, so we ended up moving in uh, uh, June of 2016 in New York City from uh, Orange County, Los Angeles. Now, um, as you may know, the, the church leaders had to uh, come out of the ministry, and we had an interim leader who took over um, in March. And come April in New York in 2016, there was 150 disciples who were giving $6,000 per week. Okay? Now, uh, that's, about, that's pretty similar to what you guys pledge is right now. You have 134, but if you do the math, it's a very, very similar amount of the giving, right? Now, Jay, he did an incredible job. He, he raised the contribution to about 8,000, so they could take care of the needs there. Well, we came in in the summer, and, and we met as a congregation uh, uh, each Sunday, but we wanted to do regions, and we wanted to go to four regions. So I calculated how much it was going to take. Um, I had my administrator, Michael Donald, come to me, and, and he came, and he thought he was giving me bad news. He said, bro, I, I did the math. I think you're going to have to increase the contribution by 60%. And I go, bro, that's great news. I, I calculated 65%. So I appreciate your numbers. See, he, he thought I didn't know what I was talking about. I, I understood very much what it was going to take. And so in December of 2016, we increased to 12,400. And there were about 160 people. Now, this is, what this is what happened. I go, okay, guys, this is what we got to do. Married couples, I need you to increase $50 a week. And the married couples had about the same response. <laughs> and, a, and a couple uh, singles chirped up because they thought it was funny. <laughs> and I said, and by the way, singles, I need you to increase $40 a week. And they go, okay. And then campus, I said, I need you to increase $25 a week. And they go, I don't even give 25. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I know. I need you to go from 5 to 30. Oh, wow. Do you know that right now we have campus students full-time who give 50 and $60 a week? Oh, Today? They did it. And they increased to 12400 Now, I thought we were good to go. But then we had another couple that we got on, on a great situation that I wanted to put on full-time. And I said, hey, guess what, guys? Time to increase a little bit more. And we went to 14000 and, and then I wanted to put his wife on. I said, guys, time to increase a little bit more. We went to 16000 And so in less than 18 months' time, we went from 150 disciples giving 6000 to 180 disciples giving 16000 
a week. We went from an average of $40 per person per week to $89 per person per week with largely the same group. See, they just had to sacrifice a little bit more. Now, you guys may know, we we actually had a few issues we had to deal with during that time. The the former church leaders who came out of ministry had been disfellowshipped, and there were some attitudes in the fellowship that took some of our attention. And, and, And that is what we were able to do. Now we have 12 full-time staff members. We have uh, a young man named Nick who has his master's degree from Columbia. Uh, We have Ernest who has his master's degree from NYU. Uh, We have Dave Swan who sold his house and his business to come and be on staff. We have the Normands who gave up everything from Canada to come and go back into full-time ministry. And we have the Pattersons who came from leading Boston to now lead the Manhattan region. And we do have an incredible full-time staff group. But you see, what I find is it always comes back to why. Why do you want to sacrifice? Well, because it's time to do something great. London is such an amazing city. 134 people cannot get this place evangelized. We need to multiply disciples, but you know what? We need to multiply the preachers. And and you cannot appropriately train a preacher unless you can put them on staff full-time and give them a group to lead. Now, Michael's going to give you some more specific direction once he figures out the numbers, but I want to call you guys to follow his direction. It can, it will, and it must be done. I like that saying. I can. I will. And I must. And you know what? You can. You will. And you must. You know, I find that most people who fail to do something great, it's because they have not been called to do something great. And I hope that at this conference this weekend, you have heard the call to do something great. It begins with great sacrifice. Amen? Our second point is greater humility. Go to Proverbs chapter 15. In verse 22... It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know, in my flesh, I I hate advice. Just being open. I I actually have changed that, and now I enjoy advice, but as a young Christian, I would never ask advice because I didn't want to hear something that I didn't want to do. There's some years ago, um, Kip was doing a, a, a lesson in L.A., and he asked the shepherds, um, to try to identify what their evangelist was like. And the passage was in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 8. The wolf, the lamb, the leopard, the goat, the calf, the lion, the cow, and the bear. And he said, hey, shepherds, who is your evangelist? What, what, what animal is he? And so Dave Swan, who was my shepherd at the time, said, I, I don't know. What's Luke? And Kip goes, uh, he's a goat. <laughs> Luke's a goat. <laughs> you know, you want to be the lion? Right. No, that's not me. I'm the goat. Well, if you know about goats, they're curious, they're independent, and they are stubborn. They put their head down, and they move forward, right or wrong, and they just plow over stuff. That's me. Curious, independent, and stubborn. Why do they climb trees? I don't know. Curious, 
Look it up. You'll laugh. You see goats and trees. I was talking to Lynette, and, uh, and she said, hey, hey, bro, what did you get from the conference? And um, I go, bro, I go, sis, it was a great conference. I, I really enjoyed myself. And she goes, you're not, like, cut? Like, you don't feel, like, rebuked? I go, I've really been enjoying myself. I said, I had a great co- talk with uh, Raul. I got some practicals for campus ministry and everything. And, well, the Lord thought it'd be good to humble me a little bit. And uh, so I, I forgot my mercy shirt. And on Friday night, I found out, hey, you got to have your mercy shirt. So I go, no problem. I, I got my 10 pounds. I'll show up half hour early so I can buy the shirt. So I'm standing at the table waiting for the shirts to arrive, which never did. I go, this is terrible. All they have is smalls. I can't fit a small. <laughs> so I go in, and I'm sitting in the second row trying to avoid all the preachers wearing my white shirt. Kip, Kip turns around and sees me in my white shirt, and he's like, <laughs> we're singing, and my bro, so I mean, I have, I'm trying to motion. I have my money. I'm trying to, you know, how do you do? I'm trying. Michael comes up and you rebels who don't wear have a green shirt on I go this is terrible I'm getting out of here so I, I go in the back and I go Eileen you gotta help me out I'm, I'm, I'm getting rebuked left and right here I, just help me out do something find me a green shawl or something well praise God Tosin literally gave me the shirt off his back God keeps me humble, you know. I forget stuff. I forgot at the GLC, too. I have to buy one there. I have, I have, a, I have a hundred at my apartment. But I have them for the whole church. But when you're in Los Angeles, you don't have one. I get a long sleeve one. I don't have one of those, you know. We went on the marriage retreat last weekend, and I, I forgot underwear. I, go, I, I know I needed that, you know. I just, just forgot. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, you know? You know, I'm an emotional person, but I'm pretty decent at making rational decisions. Um, And when when Kip did his uh, speech yesterday, I I, I thought it was awesome. And and I'm familiar with all the different dates. I go, this is great. I I love hearing it. But but during part of it, I got very cut. You know, you kind of start crying. You kind of like, you know, (laughs) hope no one's looking at you, you know? And I was very cut when he started talking about Portland. Because that's where I was baptized. And I lived in Portland from 1999 to 2005. I was met in 2004 and baptized in 2005. I went to a very small school of 2000 in undergrad. Um, And I actually knew a disciple. We were the same major, um, but we were a different year. So I never took a class with her. But I recognized her when I came to church. Um, I I learned this yesterday. Michael Williamson lived a block, literally, from where I went to school. And there was three party houses for my school called the block houses. And the brother's household lived in one of them, 2000, 2002. And I literally went to parties in the house next door. And so I likely saw Michael Williamson before I was a Christian, as well as the two other brothers who studied the Bible with me. 
But the reason why I was crying was I was so grateful because I, I realized that a, a church that had been going through all that turmoil would not have converted me. See, uh, when, when I showed up to church in 2005, it was a vibrant church. I was blown away by the special missions. I had never seen anything like it. And I knew that if I had been mad in 1999 or 2000 or 2002 or 2003, I probably would not have gotten baptized. Because the church was just not as strong as it was when I actually came. And I, and I felt very humbled by God's mercy that he rescued me. I learned after I, got, uh, after I was met that, that Kip gave a challenge to the Bible Talk leaders to fast and pray to meet someone open. Wow. And, and a, a man who was born in India, who was an Intel engineer, fasted and prayed to meet someone open, and he met me. Wow. And I was not open. <laughs> God has a funny sense of irony that I was invited to church by an Indian man. And now we oversee the work in India. Well, Paul Reddy, Paul Reddy uh, got bumped from his flight to Hillsborough and had to fly commercial through Portland. And he was supposed to come in at 6 p.m. and he came in at midnight and he took a cab home and he invited his cab driver. And his cab driver said, I don't want to come to your church, but my friend Luke will come to your church. And he gave him my phone number. And Paul called me consistently over a period of about six weeks, and finally I came to church. The first time I met him was when I came to church. He met me in November. I got baptized in April. I was not very open. But I was very grateful and humble to have been rescued just thinking back through my own conversion. You know, I find also... That, uh, you know, we think of pride as being opposite of, uh, of humility, but another thing that was mentioned this weekend was self-pity. I think self-pity is the opposite of humility as well. And I have a poem when I feel that either I'm feeling a little bit of self-pity or someone who I disciple is. I read them this poem. I'd like to share it with you. It goes like this. I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. That's what I think about self-pity. <laughs> we're the only ones who feel it so just knock it off and they go that's not very encouraging and I go I know so let, let, let's just stop it and let's focus on Jesus and move forward amen yeah I don't know don't like that it's, a, it's an American poem maybe I don't know. in humility I want to talk about two practicals here um one, you got to be willing to be discipled. you got to be willing to be trained, and it takes purging out individualism. It's one of the hardest things for us to do who are from a Western culture. Purge out our individualism. You have to die to self. And if you don't know what that means, ask your disciple, hey, what do I need to change? I bet you he or she has got a list of things that you can go over. The second thing is be humble to God you got to spend time to God in your quiet times and your prayers. Uh, one of the scriptures that was quoted, uh, I believe it was in the uh, opening welcome, was Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 7. And uh, those are some of my, my favorite uh, passages in the book of Isaiah. And it, it says that God gave Isaiah an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And I know that when I'm feeling weary, a lot of times because I've not been sustained by God's word. And then it says in verse 7, 
Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I know I'll be put to shame. Therefore, I set my face like flint. And very similar to Ezekiel chapter 3, having a forehead of flint. Very similar to the faith of shields, Ephesians 6. We, we, we get our face set like flint when we spend time with God in the Bible. And that gives us that tough exterior to go about our Christian walk. See, either you get a tough exterior to extinguish the flaming arrows, or you drop your shield of faith and you get hit in the heart and you get a hard heart. You can have a hard forehead or hard heart. It's your choice. Spending time with God's word is how you get that hard exterior so you can preserve a soft heart. Amen. You know, I, um, I, I, uh, I read in, in my quiet times, I, I typically read four chapters every day. Uh, sometimes I do more, but I always do minimally that. And I read one of the poetic books, one of the prophets, one of the historical books, and one New Testament. And if you do that, you finish your Bible in approximately 10 months or thereabouts. Uh, I always get a new Bible, and I, I write the dates, and I read through it. Make sure that I read the whole Word of God. So any of the challenging passages, I, I read that through about every 10 months. Now, when I, when I went to New York uh, on uh, June 19th was the last day I preached in Orange County, and I, I took my Bible, and I gave it to a brother. So here you go. Because I told him I would. And so I got a new Bible the next day. Well, I'm going to be finished with this one in about 10 days. So from June uh, 20th, 2016 to today, October 2018, this is my third Bible I'll, I'll have finished in that time. But that's just, that's just normally what I do. Because I know that I have to be continually staying close to God by reading his word. I, I always write something inspiring in the beginning because I just kind of stuff to focus on. I've got four quotes in here. One's from Winston Churchill. Um, one is from The Greatest Showman. One is a, a poem. And then one's a quote from Optimus Prime. So just kind of, kind of whatever I find inspiring at the time, you know. They're, they're, all, they're good quotes. So I'm already preparing my next Bible, and it gets me excited because I, I think, what order am I going to read in? What, what quotes am I going to put in there? And it just keeps me excited about spending time every morning with the Lord. I want to challenge you to read through the Bible every year. It's not that hard. Four chapters gets it done easily in 10 months. Even if you slip up a few days, you can still easily read the Bible through a year. But we need to be God's people that are humble to God's word. Amen. To do greater things, it will take greater humility. Our final point is greater miracles. Go to Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, in verse 20, he said, Because you have little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Greater miracles. We understand that it takes faith for miracles. Uh, conversely, when Jesus goes to his hometown, he does not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. I want to talk a little bit uh, about some of the cool things, some of the miracles that have happened this last year in, in New York. My hope is it will inspire you a little bit. Uh, so you guys know that, that uh, sometimes we can be a little bit challenged by tough campuses. I know you have some of the best schools in the world here in England. Um, our, our top campus in New York City is Columbia University. It is an Ivy League school. Oftentimes it's rated as one of the top ten in the world. When we moved there in 2016, we had one man 
and three women who were students at the campus. Uh, several women were baptized, and I had uh, our campus minister, who was uh, Aaron uh, Vishikini, I had him focus exclusively at Columbia. Well, after one semester, he baptized one guy. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, let's see if we can do better next time. After he got baptized, I learned that he actually was the first man baptized in our movement at Columbia. I said, wait a second, from 2008, since the church has been there, 2016, we've never baptized a guy? They said, no, we just haven't been able to do it. I go, okay, well, that sounds awesome then. Let's continue doing that. (laughs) Well, I had to pull Aaron and Charmaine out of there, and I I had them start leading uh, the Brooklyn region. That's when we regionalized. Um, I hired a new couple to do campus ministry. They had to come out because of some personal challenges, so we basically lost a semester there. Uh, we had the young man who uh, was already a student there. His name was Nick. He was a, a, a master's student. Now, he transferred. He was a disciple already, and he transferred uh, there as a master's student. So he graduated, and I said, I have a fine job for you as a, a, a master's degree holder from an Ivy League school. I'd be very pleased to make you an intern. Yeah. <laughs> and his parents thought he was crazy. But he became an intern. Um, it, 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 it took a little bit of time to get going. And, and at one point uh, during that year, 2017, um, I, I, I spent some time and I was on campus kind of, you know, showing them around. And, uh, and we were in the, the religious building where the chaplain's office is. And I saw these pictures of, you know, five or six religious people there. So there was a couple of priests, uh, uh, imam, uh, rabbis, etc., uh, you know, Buddhist priests and stuff. And, and I, I grabbed somebody who, was a, who worked there, an employee. I said, hey, how, how do I get my picture up on this wall? What's it take? And uh, the guy goes, well, you got to be a club on campus. I go, okay, cool. We'll do that. So then what? He goes, to start with being a club. I go, okay, well, we'll, we'll do that. But then what? What's the next steps after that? And he wouldn't tell me anything other than become a club. I go, okay, cool. So we become a club. And the club sponsors me. And it took about a year's time. But then I was able to become a religious life advisor at Columbia. Now, what that means is I have an office. I have a student ID. I have a Columbia.edu email. And get this, I'm required to spend a certain number of hours on campus and be available to talk to any student, regardless of their religious background, and give them counsel on their life. I go, wait a second, you want me to just talk to students? And they go, yeah. I go, okay, I can do that. So I, I of course, I'm in there doing Bible studies, and the chaplain walks by, and, and she goes, oh, wow, you're doing Bible studies with students. I go, yeah. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And they go, yeah, but nobody does it. Wow. I go, great, keep them coming. Wow. And so we do Bible studies right in the open instead of trying to hide and not let them know what you're doing. Well, we have midweeks on campus, too. And the chaplain's office, they put our midweeks in the chapel. They moved us. We weren't there, and they moved us into the chapel because they said, hey, we know you do worship services on Wednesday night. So we were thinking if somebody wants to come to worship service on our campus, they'll go to the chapel. So maybe they'll just find you if they're looking for a worship service. I go, that sounds fantastic. We can live with that arrangement. Well, Nick, uh, who was the new campus leader, uh, there, there was not a whole lot who happened that, that first semester, but the next semester, he baptized five guys at Columbia. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. One of them was an American football player. One of them was during the middle of finals week, and he was a grad student. 
You know, sometimes we can think, oh, we can't get the students at top campuses. They're too busy. They don't want to seek after God. Sometimes we think we can't baptize during finals. We baptized Miguel on December 20th in between his finals. We can say we can't get athletes. They don't want to hang out with us. We can think we can't get grad students. They're just too busy. Well, you know what? God can grant even greater miracles. You know, I find that sometimes we can look at high-powered professionals, and we can say, oh, no, they're, they're, we can't get them. They're, they're too busy. They don't want to talk to us. They're out of our league. Well, I'll tell you about a young man named Toby. He was a recent graduate from Harvard. Wow. Um, and Harvard, most would rank as the top school in the world, although some might rank it second or third. He played football there as well. Wow. He has a job at Goldman Sachs in the financial district. He was met by Mike and Chanel. Well, they studied with him, and he was baptized. And, and when he, he came out, he didn't really want to bring his friends because he looked around, and he goes, my friends are not going to feel comfortable in this fellowship. And Mike said, yes, exactly. You need to change it. You need to bring them so you can change our church. And so after a little bit of coaching, uh, he came, and the next Sunday he brought four friends. Two of them he played football with, and they graduated from Harvard. The other two were from Goldman Sachs. Now, Toby himself is not necessarily someone who you would look at and think he's got to go ministry. He's a little bit more reserved, but two of his friends are. And Lord willing, both of them we baptize this next Sunday into Christ. <laughs> See, you can convert high-powered people because God can give you even greater miracles. You know, sometimes you can look at your family and say, wow, they're hard to convert. You can look at religious people. And say, wow, they're hard to convert. And if you have religious family members, you think they're doubly hard to convert. Well, I'm going to tell you about my parents. After visiting our churches for 13 years, I finally said, hey, guys, I need you to come and move and be with me in New York City. Now, they're retired. And let me tell you what, nobody retires to New York City. They do the exact opposite. And I, and I told them, I said, hey, I need you to come help me with my kids. Because all their grandkids don't live close where they are. I said, Come and, and be with my kids and help me uh, take care of them. Come, become elders in my church and help me build a church. And when we go to India, I want you to come with me and let's go on one last adventure. See, they were denominational missionaries in Africa for seven years. Wow. They're very involved in their church. Well, they came out and they visited for one month. And they said, okay, we could live here. He, I had him come to staff meeting. My dad stood up. He read Matthew 13, verse 44. And he said, oh, you know what? Uh, this man went and sold all he had in his joy and came and found the kingdom. I'm going to go home to California. I'm going to sell my house and all my belongings, and we're moving to New York for the kingdom. Wow. <clears throat> they moved there the beginning of January, and they live with us. And uh, we had Bible studies with them. I had them come to staff meetings, and we had D times with them. And it's kind of a funny uh, time to have D time with your parents. <laughs> and you go, hey, Mom, you know, I saw how you rolled your eyes at Dad there. You know, you got to respect him even if he makes a bad decision. And dad, you, you, you can't be the center of attention. You can't be, you got to be a respectable older man and set a good example for the young men. You know, so we had a lot of those types of talks. And, and we had some pretty hardline Bible studies where things got very uncomfortable. I, I, I pulled the shepherds in there and we literally studied the Bible from January to August. And 
they were very close to baptism right before the GLC. And I said, you know what? They need to come to the GLC and get baptized there. And so I prayed hard that they would. They, they went through. They, they drove across the country. They're a little bit crazy. They, they drove across, and they, they went and visited my sister and her church in Kansas. They went to their old church in California and visited. And as God would have it, there was two disciples who had been baptized in the L.A. church, even though it was three hours away, who were a part of their former church. And they got in a great conversation. They went to the GLC, and we got them connected with some disciples. And one of the key conversations they had was with the hearts. And then, and after, after spending time at GLC, we got together on Saturday, and they said, we see it, and we're ready. We count the cost with them, and they were baptized on August 19th on their 46th wedding anniversary as disciples. And now they're shepherds in training in the New York church. God can do even greater miracles. I want to tell you about one more young man. Sometimes we can look at people who are in certain sins and say, that they, I don't know if God can save them. Some who are in certain lifestyles that seem impossible to change. I want to tell you about a, a young man named Antonio. He was born a man, and at 11 years old, he was pulled in by the transgender community. And he was given... Uh, hormone recepting, uh, uh, hormone blockers, so that he would not develop into a man. He had extensive surgeries, cheeks, lips, breasts, thighs, etc. He was actually invited by Omar, who's here this weekend. Omar thought he was a woman. After reading the Bible at 18 years old, he realized that he needed to go to church. And at a denominational church, he realized that this was a, not a lifestyle that pleased God. And so he became an outspoken against the transgender community, even creating a documentary about this, writing articles, and being outspoken on the radio. Mike Patterson's been studying the Bible with him, and they had to get through some of the uh, religious uh, doctrine and stuff. They counted the cost last night, and Antonio, Lord willing, today will become your brother in Christ. And he's going through surgeries to reverse and become masculine again. See, God can do even greater miracles. But you know what? It takes faith. You, you, remember, you remember Luke Skywalker when he crashed on that planet and he met Yoda. And Yoda's trying to get him to use the force to raise his fighter. He says, it's, it's too big. Yoda says, size matters not. Judging me by, by my size, do you? And, and, and he tells him to try, and Luke Skywalker tries to lift it up, and he can't. And then Yoda goes and lifts it up, and Luke Skywalker says, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fail. Wow. See, you've got to believe that God will do even greater things. You know, in London, you have an incredible opportunity. You have a top-notch world city that can influence and evangelize all of Europe. Stockholm, Paris, Birmingham. You guys may have a little bit smaller church, but you know what? Jesus commissioned 12, and look what they did. You don't need a big church to turn the world upside down. Two weeks ago, you had three baptisms here in London. Last week, 
You had three baptisms, and today, Lord willing, you're going to have three more baptisms. Francesca, Barry, and Tim will be baptized into Christ. Right now, we are on the doorstep of greatness. It's time to dream a little bit bigger. Jesus expects us to. Church, to do even greater things, I believe that we'll need greater sacrifice, greater humility, and we will see greater miracles. I can, I will, and I must. Now, I want to close out with a quote about dreams. It's written in one of my Bibles from years ago. It goes like this. All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their mind wake in the day to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. This I did, T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. And so this morning, church, I want to call you to act your dreams with open eyes and make them possible. You can. You will, and you must. Thank you, and God bless. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D. O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot U-K. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.